Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. If you are brought up in New Zealand and Australia, and subsequently around the world, most probably as well, I figure that alongside a birth certificate and eventually a passport, you will be handed an ACDC album. It's kind of like a birthright. And that's because the band got it right from day dot. They created the perfect recipe for rock and roll. Get two guitars, both of them primarily working in rhythm, although one has the ability to take the lead guitar off into the stratosphere, put a rock solid rhythm section together and get them all to pretty much play the same thing. That is the essence of Groove, and if you get it right, it is a flawless victory. So when people take a look at a glittering career like ACDC's, where they've sold almost more records and played to more people than any other musician on the planet, and they start to criticize the band for not changing it up or making records that are unique or different, number one, they're missing the subtleties of the journey because there are differences in ACDC records as they've gone through, but really what they're forgetting is the fact that if you create the perfect dish on day one and it becomes your signature, why would you add more seasoning 40 years down the line you just don't you do what acdc is designed to do they may not have changed what they make considerably but changes have happened along the way they lost their original frontman bond scott founding member and a big part of the heart and soul of the band malcolm young passed away a few years back in recent times current singer brian johnson has gone through hearing difficulties which put his future in the band in doubt bass player cliff williams decided to walk away and drummer phil rudd has been on and off going through a whole other thing which you can go and read about if you really want to but the bottom line is as the acdc have been through the kind of challenges that would have put most bands and artists into retirement long ago and yet here they are back together with their rock or bus lineup ready to go again sydney Florida, Los Angeles combined, conversation ensues. Myself, Angus Young, and Brian Johnson in the latest conversation right here in the interview spot with the indestructible ACDC. Brian, Angus, guys, good to see you guys. My gosh, this is strange circumstances, but it would have been even stranger if we weren't doing this at all. And for one point, I thought maybe that may never happen again. So the fact we're even getting a chance to sit down and talk about new ACDC is such a joy, gentlemen, yeah. such a joy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for coming through and delivering once again um, on an amazing record. Last time we saw the two of you hanging out with your friends, it was rock or bust. And I guess you guys chose rock in the end, and not yeah. bust. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little about what life is like when you're not actively in ACDC, i.e. touring or making records. I mean, I see Angus behind you. You've got a couple of Marshall stacks there. Yeah. But do you sort of tr try to keep remnants or um, reminders of the band at bay at home, or, or do you lean into the legacy of the band even in your own lifestyle? I'm lucky in the sense when, I, when I'm not doing anything, you know, I've got a good kind of switch. I can kind of switch off to what I'm doing. So even if I've been on even touring, you know, I, after a couple of weeks I get a little bit uh, antsy, you know, I get a little bit, uh, you know, I've got to do something now, so... Then I just, you know, go in the, my little studio and start doing a little bit of work. When it's time to pick the guitar up and lean into something, are you thinking about ACDC or are you just playing for the love of playing and, and it naturally just comes out? Yeah, I, if I just pick up a guitar at home, I might doodle for a little bit, a few minutes, you know, just do a few, warm up my hands and fingers and try something off the wall. 
Other times I might just uh, sit and experiment a little bit, try something different, pick up another instrument and start, you know, banging a drum or picking up a bass, yeah. And then, I'll, you know, I usually get, you know, bored after a while doing that and I go, okay, I'll start uh, now concentrating on putting together a few song ideas. Once I start getting one idea together, that kicks me off to the next one because I go, okay, I've got to get better and, and build off that. I wondered how many riffs and how many ideas you sort of kick around before you land that one that you know is up to the standard of the band. You know, that, that's going to hold it down with all the other great riffs and great songs that you've, you've worked on with the band and with your brother in the past. I get very excited with new, doing new, something new and going, well, it sound, it's ACDC, but it's, you know, it's got a, a, a little bit of a different angle on it. So that's always, for me, the big puzzle, finding something that's ACDC, but it has... It's something you've not heard ACDC done before. So you try to look for new ways of doing riffs and you experiment a little bit with those. But then when you get something, you go, oh, that's definitely ACDC. And you know that you've cracked the puzzle there. And that gives you a little bit of excitement and a little bit of a rush. And then I go, okay, you've done that now. On to the next thing. And then find another song idea that you can go, right, I've got an album you know, get better than what I, what, what I did with the one before. So it's, it's a constant puzzle. You know, when you, when you have perfection at the beginning, <laughs> and Brian, you must, underst- you must understand this more than anybody, when you, when you invent rock and roll perfection, which is what is widely considered to be ACDC's equation, which is like put these things into a, into a chemistry and it is what rock and roll should sound like. Boom. Yeah. Done from day one. I don't know. I just don't know how you, you know, how you approach that from a reinvention point of view because it's just like it's like the perfect meal from the day you cooked it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good way of putting it, my son. But you know, the thing is, I always look at myself as being a real lucky. You know, when we go into the studio, Angus and of course Aunt Malcolm in the old days, you know, we used to bring in these tunes that for a vocalist or singer were just meat and potatoes. I mean, if you didn't do it right. It just, it didn't sound right at all, you know. So the thing is, uh, as I've said before, when I go in there, I'm first of all, I'm very excited because I'm the first person in the world who's going to sing this song. And you're the biggest ACDC fan in the world at that time, right? So you get to go in yeah, there and be you that know, guy. I'm, yeah. uh, uh, I'm the astronaut sitting on the first rocket of the moon, you know, in my <laughs> mind. The thing I have to do to myself, you know, well, sorry, think, I have to think, is that uh, I've got to try to get it exactly the way that Angus has heard it in his brain. Do you know, can I tell you, I got a little letter today from a little kid, Angus, I've got to tell you, in Argentina. It was called Ivan. He was 15 and he sent a letter and it just said, he'd just seen the thing. He was very excited and all that. And it, he ended the letter and he said, for me, ACDC are the most powerful and strong band in the world. And I just sat and I looked and I said, you know what, we must be doing something right for this kid to figure that out. And I think that's what Ang and Mal brought to, to the table of rock and roll uh, in the world was this power and strength, but also this 
swing. If it doesn't swing, it doesn't mean a thing. Oh, it's there's so much groove. Yeah. There's so much analysis that has gone into ACDC just through the fact that on the surface, it seems like such a simple concoction, the idea of a, of a finite amount of players playing something really in unison with each other. Everybody is in lockstep in unison. That that in itself is such a masterful approach because it's all about unity. A lot of times when people make music, it's about counterpoints and about the way that things fit or don't fit. With ACDC, it's like it was just born to move as one, like it one human being moving and everyone plays a different limb. Do you know what I mean? And it's there's something magical about what you've created. Even when you're doing that creation, the, that's the thing you, that you go for most is, uh, and I learned this from Malcolm, my brother, also uh, the, the big guy, and we were very lucky as, when we were younger is my older brother, George, who produced a lot of our early albums. He always said to take something complex like music, it's a bit like a, a building. You've got to have those simple, you know, basic elements. Then you can build off that. He said the real art is making the complex simple. <laughs> so that's I love that. I, I, that's how we always approached it. You know, he said with a lot of music, there's a, a, a thing of trying making it too complex, where they they use they overproduce, they throw everything in but the kitchen sink to to a, to a song. And he used to say with a band like us. There's just the two guitars, the bass and the drums and and the vocal on top. He said, you know, you've got to keep it uh, pretty tight and basic to get, to get that song idea across, which is true. If you're reading a book, your imagination takes over when you're reading a good book. You envision that book in your mind's eye. And, uh, and it's the same, with, I think, with, with a lot of music. You can play a chord or two, and it's knowing when not to overdo it and let the audience, they can feel, they kind of fill in the spaces. Oh, there's so much for the audience to connect to. I mean, even if you've ever seen yes. an ACDC show and you realize that so much of the tempo revolves in between that kind of 108 or 110 to 120, yeah. 125, which is just that perfect tempo to move to. So that's why everyone just, without even realizing it, everyone's just doing this thing. And it's like, that's it's right. so laid out for us in the most beautiful way to just connect and, and to have our experience with it. Brian will tell you, and when you're playing live also, you know, the audience is your, you know, it's five of us, but they're the sixth member. Yeah. And we always go on. We don't say to an audience, come on, you're with us. We, we get out and we just play and we go, we let them come into it. Well, I would say yes, with the exception of depending on how long your intro is, which depending on what tour you did, can anywhere between, be between 10 minutes and five minutes yeah. <laughs> just for the intro. <laughs> and <laughs> And then I would say that, yeah, you invite everybody in, but you grab us and drag us into the field with, without any doubt. I mean, those intros are unbelievable. You must laugh sometimes when you see some of the ideas presented to you because it's just like a, it's like a Michael Bay film or something. It's, some of them are just unbelievable. Brian will tell you this also. Sometimes with an audience, uh, they're so excited before you come on. And I used to say, now we're going to go on and spoil it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> because they're already, they're already having a party. They're having yeah. a party. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're, they're loving it. Yeah. 
And I mean, in, and sometimes when you would get on and we would start up and, you know, you've got a big sound system, you know, it's pumping it, pumping out what the band does, but sometimes you, you couldn't hear them for the roar. That's what happens when you write classic after classic after classic. It's been an incredible ride and um, let's just not take this moment for granted. Yeah. Because I would say there are very few bands that can see off danger and tragedy and challenges the way that ACDC can. And yet with the tragic passing of Malcolm, with what yeah. Phil was going through, Brian, what yeah. you went through, and ultimately what Cliff decided to do, I have to be honest, I thought, I don't even think ACDC can survive this. I genuinely felt that. And, and, I, and I really tip my cap to you for seeing the tour through. And maybe we could talk a bit about Axel later because he deserves a little moment because he really stepped up. Yeah. And I watched footage of that. I didn't have tickets to any of those remaining shows, but I saw footage. Yes. He really stepped up and poured his heart and soul into it. But I just didn't yeah. think that you would come back from this. And so my question, Angus, is did you? Not really, no. Because for me, it was a, the big question mark. Malcolm, my brother, was always really practical. That's always how I knew him. I remember even from uh, when we were younger, he would say to me, you got any good ideas or something for stage or, or something? And I would say, oh, well, what about we try, maybe try this? And he would go, right. And any idea, he would make it practical. That was always, for me, his gift, yeah? I mean, even first starting out, you know, I mean, you know, I think we had to go do a, a few gigs outside where we were living, you know, and we needed uh, transport. Malcolm would go, come on, me and you. We'd go down a used car place. We'd get a, a car. It was an old bomb. It was lucky it was even roadworthy, you know. It was like buying something from Fair Deal Dan, you know. And uh, you, we got this old little truck just so we could do those gigs. So... It, that was how his mind worked. He was the doer. He was the doer. He was the one who made it he, actually he made, he made it possible. practical. Yeah. yeah. And even if I had some little riff I had going, he would break it down and we can make this into a good rock intro. So he, he was the one that could sink a song through you know, and break it down to the parts, you know, where, where the, you know, he, he always said, you know, that's what we got to do, keep it keep it tight, keep it simple. You know, there was nothing worse than, you know, when people are tapping their foot, you want them to keep tapping. You don't want to... Yeah, that's called groove. That's right. So that was his whole whole thing, yeah. When we had Bond Scott, you know, our original thing, and then he passed very tragically. It, it was Malcolm, after a couple of weeks, called me up and said, uh, you know, there's no point in this, the two of us just moping all the time. Let's just go and we'll go on, we'll get a little studio and uh, the two of us will go there and we'll just do what we were doing before, just writing songs and don't think of anything. And then hopefully you can deal with the crisis of it, you know, get through it. And that was good kind of therapy for us because it took our minds away and we can concentrate on what, what we were doing. Well, it sounds like he had the ability to be able to, to, to make you understand that when something seemed too vast, whether it was a riff or a journey to a gig, that you had to take one step in front of the other in order to get yeah. to the end of that particular thing. And when that advice and that friendship and that relationship as a brother and as a mentor and as someone who's really close to you, 
um, is no longer there, how yeah. do you respond to that? Because that, that has been Malcolm's role, as he said, for decades, you know? I talk to, to him here in my head. I'm deal, you know, I have to go through him and then I've got my, uh, my other brother and I, I have this converse, conversation going on with the, with the three of them. And then I rely on what they taught me. And also from my old uh, brother, George, he, he had taught in his early, like in, he got us very young, took us in studios uh, let us even, uh, when I was in my teens, uh, play on records with him doing the guidance so that you, would, you, you understood how a record was made. And he did the same with Malcolm. He, had, he used Malcolm a lot on doing sessions. It gave us, you know, a, a good insight, like uh, especially on the studio side at a young age. So all of that experience, that helped us. I always felt really lucky and, and Malcolm was always generous. Anything he did, you know, like when we were younger, I, had, I just had an acoustic guitar from my early age, you know. Malcolm had an electric guitar, which was, he got off my brother and he was using that. Then he gave me that guitar and then later on he came in to me and said, and I didn't ask her anything, he said, I've got you an amp. He'd gone out and got me an amp. He was always uh, good at that side. He had a big, big heart to, towards me. Yeah. And even later on, because he used to always say, uh, or he'd come visit me and he'd go, uh, Angus, you need some microphones. <laughs> and he'd come back the next time with a bag of microphones. Yeah. <laughs> or he would go, I'll get you some better speakers. He would come back. He was always doing stuff like that. Sounds like an amazing brother, first and foremost, you know, before anything else. Yeah, we had our differences at times, you know, and we were two, you know, we were two brothers. We could, we could beat the crap out of each other at times too. But I couldn't fault him in his generosity you know, and his time, his time also, because he was always so very um, quick with ideas, anything uh, in a studio, um, playing songs. I mean, Malcolm knew songs I, I didn't know existed, you know. When we were kids, we were, we were once playing at a, a, a wedding and, uh, you know, somebody said, can you play Zorba the Greek? And Malcolm, yeah, yeah sure. And I'm going, what? No. <laughs> Malcolm, Malcolm, no. Malcolm starts Wait, it up. <laughs> he gets it. He got it through. He got it. I'm just following him. I'm like a bar behind going, what's he doing? Yeah. You've dedicated this album to him. Yes. And rightfully so. And so his spirit clearly still permeates through this. Now, you were very clear that there was no playing um, to some degree that, that directly related to him because, and I love the way that you said this, you were worried about manipulating his parts because I guess to some degree he did also a very good job of establishing his own taste profile, yeah. his, own, his own design of what he would have wanted and you wanted to yeah. respect that. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't want to... Uh pick pieces together and I know the technology's there, but I didn't want to do that. He would not have liked that. Yeah. Even when we were doing a, a track of somebody said, uh, and Malcolm thought, oh, no, we could do better. He didn't let it go until he thought all the parts were there, even if it meant redoing, you know, the whole guitar work on a, a track or anything. Whatever it took. Whatever it took. And he was always proud of his own performance. And I would go, what are you playing there, Malcolm? Yeah. And he'd go, I'd simply, blah, blah, blah. And i go, what I'm doing is just not the same <laughs> as what you're doing. Uh, and he's going, no, you've got it. You, you've got it. You're playing, you know. 
but I would always be in, let me get that right. Yeah. And he would always be very patient and go, well, it's this, this. no matter how long it took to, for it to go in my head. Yeah. And I used to say, I always feel a little bit one, you know, one or two steps behind him. And Malcolm would go, no, Angus, he goes, when you got it, he said, it might take you those two steps, but when it's in, it ain't leaving your your brain. So he was always good like that. Amazing, you know, absolutely incredible. And as you said, you know, the engine, I mean, for the longest time when, when he played just so rock solid. So you're in a situation where, and you said this beautifully before, where you still make decisions based on what you've learned from your brothers and from this amazing That's tutelage right. that you got. But you didn't have a singer for a while. Not just a singer, the singer. The singer that the only other person who can even dance in that range with that power is Axel. And the only one who can even get close to Brian is willing to step in and have a crack to help you finish. So yes. there's, there's no one who can replace Brian. That must have been a real moment for you, Brian, as well, to be in a situation where this thing, as you say, being the world's biggest ACDC fan, that there was a time when this album, Power Up, wasn't an option. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, well, it, things happen. You know, and uh, when this thing happened to me, it was sudden. It, well, it was building up. You know, we knew, I knew it was getting worse and worse. And then it suddenly came to the point where it had to stop. And then I was told to stop. And, uh, and it's horrible and it's cruel. And, it's, uh, and you're suddenly by yourself. You're by yourself, your family, you're, you know, your family's gone. But at the same time, I had to be realistic about it. I said, listen, this isn't anything terminal. You know, uh, I've still got my health and um, I've, I've been very lucky to, to have got this far in life. You know, I think I was 68 years old at the time, which is, <laughs> which is quite an age. You know, and, and, and I looked around the world and a lot of people, even friends of mine, are passed, you know, and that very week that it happened to me, my best friend passed away with cancer at the age of 59, Sorry. you know, and that, that was like a double blow, and, and it was all pretty rotten, um, and, I, you know, I just thought I'd man up and just have to go through, it was painful and horrible, but it's, you know, I, as I've said before, I just buried my head in a bottle of whiskey for a couple of months, and I did, and it was painless, and I didn't take drugs, or, or go and see a psychiatrist, or you know, do all that rock and roll. What you're supposed to do, you know. No, you did Scottish therapy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I just, I just, I did. It was, and it was good. You just manned up, and then you know, through all of that, and I'm just like you and Angus. And did you think anything was going to happen? Well, of course I didn't. I thought that was it. And then really, it was only about 18 months. After that, you know, and I was just kind of still missing and wondering what to do next, uh, if anything, because I'm like, Angus, I've got to do something, you know. I'm just an itchy kind of guy. And I got the call from Angus in the office, management and things, and asking if I would like to do an, an album. And, of course, I just, I don't know, surely this couldn't be another great chance in life to... Do what you love doing, and it certainly was, and that's why I'm so appreciative of the lads and everybody to just give you a chance to get in there, and you know, sure you can 
dry your stuff out in the studio. But Brian, in your mind, because I know that the, when you go through significant hearing damage, and I have a bit of mild hearing damage from loud music throughout the years and such, so I, I know that when it gets to that point, you have to really try to take care of it. But there are other ways that you can work around it, and I know that you were going through treatment. In your mind, though, Brian, when you left that tour, when you had to walk away, did it feel like you might not get a call like that? Because singing on an album is very different to doing 200 shows around the world. Were you concerned about that? Yes, but technology is a wonderful thing, Zen. And I've got to tell you, it was just lucky. You know, when this wonderful gentleman came up and was looking for me, and he was an audio professor, and he wanted to try this new technology. And he said, listen, we could do it together if I can come down and visit you. And uh, I didn't know. I thought it may have been all smoke and mirrors, you know, somebody trying it on. But he was the actual genuine article, and he did fly down all the way from Denver, Colorado, and we sat there for two days, and I just couldn't believe the results. But unfortunately, it was the size of a car battery. Right. And so we spent the next two years basically miniaturizing, which is the hard thing. But anyway, yeah. it worked well. And when we'd done the album and we shot a video in Amsterdam, you know, Angus said, do you want to do a rehearsal? Because I didn't want to go through what I went through again. And so Angus, I said, yeah. And Angus put the whole back line up. And they were saying, well, we can start quietly. And we said, no, no, I want full battlefield conditions. And little Stephen came with us and uh, we put it in, in, in the ears. And we were expected at least, oh, I don't know, maybe two days of screwing around. But boy, oh boy, it worked straight away. Oh, I can't even imagine. That would have been an incredible feeling, an incredible experience. It's funny, isn't it? You know, so many people go through life and they get told for injury or for lots of different reasons, you can no longer play your chosen sport. You can no longer do the thing that you spent your childhood dreaming of doing. But it's very rare you get a chance to come back and you get a chance to do it again. I don't have the words. I really don't have the words to tell you how I felt, uh, but I know happy was one of them. It was, uh, it, was uh, it was really good. <laughs> I bet, I bet. But also not just you. I mean, you talk about second chances, but Angus, it, it can't be lost on you, the importance, especially when you hear this new album, just how incredible it is to hear Brian singing at full, at full capacity again and to know that that, that that was able to happen thanks to technology and friendship. Yeah, it was an easy thing, you know, because I'd, we'd worked with Brian all those years from when, you know, Bond, there's a long time, yeah. It's over 40 something years. So I know with my brother, with Malcolm, because all of these songs that are on Power Up, the album, these are all ideas that me and him uh, had worked on. Malcolm knew that, that's how he knew the band. I would have to do that anyhow. I would need to contact Brian first. You know, I knew Brian had, we'd been kept updated that he'd been getting good results with that, with, you know, working with that technology. And uh, so it, it, everything seemed to come together, everyone and Cliff even. Cliff wanted to yeah. be on board because Cliff had always said, even at the end of the tour, I had said to him, if I do anything, do you want me to contact you? And he said, yeah, no, definitely contact me, you know. 
So what did you take from that? Again, this whole, I mean, this rock or bus tour must have been beyond challenging because all these things are happening at the same time. And then to the credit of yourself and to the band, you saw this tour through. Most wouldn't have. You saw it through prior to the end of it when Cliff said, this is going to be it for me. It's almost a mixed message for him to turn around and say, but give me a call at the end of it. Because you would think that for him to go through that, that heartache for him to make a disconnection, that he would need to make a clean break and go, the rest of my life is now dedicated to something else. What did you take from that when he sort of said to you, no, no, give me a call, give me a call? But I knew Cliff at the beginning, from the very beginning, even when we started to, to get ready to go on tour, Cliff had said this would be his last tour. We knew that. Uh, when all of this come up and Brian was in, you know, really bad shape, he couldn't do his role, me and Cliff had to sit and go, okay, we got to deal with the, you know, the options, what we're going to do. To do these dates anyhow, we had to inform people we wouldn't be able to do them. And you have to tell people the truth. We had a, a whole group with over, you know, 60-something, 70 people uh, working there with us, all waiting on an answer. So, Oh, and it's way more complicated than that. What people don't realise is that there's significant amount of insurance issues and legalities. It's, it's intense. We could have uh, just stopped and said, we'll cancel and hopefully we'll get another chance. But we knew there would still be even a lot of insurance and uh, legality there. Or we can look at other options. Maybe, you know, and somebody said, well, maybe we could get somebody who might guest. We might have some, some people who you could try out who might be able to do the role, get you through. So we had to look at those options. And then uh, out of the blue, we got a message, you know, uh, that Axel, Axel Rose would help, you know. If nothing interfered with his commitments, he would gladly help us out. So uh, we got a, a rehearse place and tried out. And, you know, he put a lot of effort and everything. Oh, he was on his best behaviour, I think, wasn't he? I mean, if you've ever been to a Guns yeah. N' Roses show, I mean, the fact that he showed up on time means he must have a huge amount of respect for ACDC because he's not known for being the most punctual on his own time. I'll say that. Yeah, well, I'd only met him a long time ago in the 80s. Uh, he had come to a show and he was, to me, he was very, very nice and everything. Basically, that's how it, it came in to be. That allow us to, to finish off the, the, those dates. So... You know, for us, it was a heaven sent, you know, it, it was like a little bit like a lifesaver. And, you know, even though he, he had, he had uh, done his uh, foot in, you know, before he started, he, he, he borrowed a chair. He was, he was determined he was going to go. So I thought, you know, the first show we had to do, I think, was in Portugal. And, I mean, it was a horrible day. It was raining and everything. It was open air. It was... Anything that can go wrong, yeah. Everything was going wrong. And then just at the last minute, the sky cleared. The storm went away. You know, we got on, on stage and got through. He, he performed from the chair, gave it his best shot, and we got through. So that, you know, uh, for the band, you know, I mean, you know, uh, we'll be forever grateful. And he, you know, helped us get through all of those shows. It must have been a really strange situation for you, Angus, to be on stage and having, like we said, been through a lot, but you're looking to your left. Yeah. And there's Stevie. And you're like, okay, I kind of I get that. And the spirit of Malcolm is alive and moving through the DNA and the, and the, and the lineage. I love that. But over here, Cliff, he's out. And where's Phil? And then there's Axel. And there must have been just moments when you thought, wow, like, uh, how are we even going to get through this 
time. I mean, I know you're determined and I know the band is incredible, but crazy. I don't know. Maybe it's because you go, well, <laughs> it just needs that big bell to fall on top of your head or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, is that how it ends? One of those cannons <laughs> go off and takes you with it, you know. So if anything was going to go wrong, yeah, and you can go, well, hey, they tried. Yeah. If you try, people respect that you try. Yeah. You know, I've seen it with Brian. I saw it with Bond Scott also. You know, the best performances they ever did is when their throat was shot, when they could hardly talk. Well, you go somewhere deeper as well. You go somewhere deeper and, you, and, you, and it becomes about your spirit, not about your talent. And it becomes about what you mean versus what you want. That's right. And that's the, the audiences, you know, they, they appreciate you more that you've come and you've tried. I think, you know, people appreciate it and they go, I know, I know the guy's not in full 100%, but he's really up there giving the best he can do. Yeah. It's sad at the moment because we're missing live music in the biggest way and ACDC have consistently been one of the most in-demand hard tickets on the planet. This album is so built as all ACDC records are to be played live. I mean, Code Red itself would be worth the price of admission, which is one of my favorites, by the way. But I think looking at the way the band is built now with Cliff, part of the reason he didn't want to stay in the band was he didn't want to tour. And Brian obviously needed to take care of his health with his hearing, which live music can be a hazard for. Granted, you, you can't even cross that bridge right now, but as in when things get back to normal, what's the general feeling about the band about playing live and touring, in particular, Brian? Uh, well, you know, when we finished uh, the rehearsal, we were all pretty high uh, on how it had all gone, you know. We just talked about doing a few shows, you know, that, and, and let's see, and, you know, taking baby steps like Angus said, or like Malcolm would always say, you know, just taking a step at a time and... Let's see how it works and all that. And then three days later. Three shows for you is still 300,000 people. It's like, we'll just do like three, four shows, yeah? We'll, well do three, four uh, shows. Uh, well, well, I don't know. We're talking big ones or small ones, you know, Obviously. just a few. No, the big ones. No, I think we're talking about doing some smaller ones, you know, just for a bit wow. of fun. But even that, we couldn't even plan to make plans three days later. We all went home and yeah. this virus, by the time we got home, it had just traveled so quickly and it affected everybody and it just yeah and now look yeah. at us it's six months later seven months later longer time is i'm losing yeah. track we would love nothing more than to just god I'd, I'd love to hear the boys power up on live you know just that first few things and just going on and going <laughs> let me add them it begs the question that this album, I know that you had kind of recorded before, as you say, you were ready to kind of roll it out. I know, because I, I got a chance to hear some stuff before we all went into quarantine, and I was like, let's go. So I know you've been patiently waiting to get this record out. Now, given that it, it can take upwards of six years for an ACDC record, and every one of them is well worth the wait, I suppose the question is why put it out now, and why not see what 2021 was going to look like and feel like? What prompted the decision to put Power Up out now? Well, we depended mainly on, you know, what... You know, yeah, record company, which was, uh, you know, they were the ones giving the advice and they said, we can do it now. Because originally, yeah, we had geared up for it, as Brian said. You know, it was going to come out early. We had done all promo, you know, video stuff for it. Uh, and, uh, you know, and as he said, we were even planning maybe if we maybe do some shows, if, you know, if it worked. We were geared up to go earlier. But, you know, the virus thing, uh, you know, kicked in big time. 
And so it was a case of uh, leaving it up to them when they thought they had the clearance that we're, you know, and putting, you know, uh, into, you know, the production, you know, getting CDs and whatnot, if they had all the tools to do that. And they and they said we we should be able to do at that at this point we were depending on them if they and and that's what I said well if you believe you can do it we'll do our best to help you uh, uh, promote it yeah I mean look I mean the record is is so it's such a welcome thing um, but you're right it is it's strange to not then have a cross on a calendar with ACDC. That's you know, right. Live, yeah. live at the Forum or live at the Rose Bowl next yeah. to it. You know, for me in LA, it's just a strange thing. You'll get a few hours anyhow of a euphoria if you hear it. Yeah. I think they waited till the world world hit a misery level, a limit of misery with this thing, and just said, "Right, time to cheer it up." And you've done that. Something positive and something powerful, and it is a, it is a it is a a, a brilliantly classic sounding ACDC record, but with new things to it. Angus, I wondered from your perspective, what were some of the new things we talked at the beginning of the conversation, the desire for subtle reinvention in order to make sure each ACDC record is a refresh, and we've seen that over and over again. What was new about this time for you? Well, a lot of them is the songs themselves. Even when Malcolm, we put these ideas, these, I mean, they're not like B songs or anything. These are songs that we had marked out as ACDC songs. These ideas came from the, when we were, just before we did the album Black Eyes, we had a quite a big break and me and him had been in the studio for a long time, for a lot of years, just writing songs. So a lot of these were song ideas. Even when we went to do Black Eyes, we had so much material. It was a case of when Brendan O'Brien, who produced it and produced this album also, you know, we were going to the, you know, the beginning. You know, he, he'd start from here, disc one, you know, and he's, he's going through and he's liking all <laughs> from all the early <laughs> stuff. And we got, we got a whole, you know, boxes of a whole heap of other songs. How we, many? I mean, but how many are we talking about here? I mean, if you and Malcolm are just in the studio during downtime, because I think if my timeline is correct, rewinding back about 40, 50 minutes into the conversation, you said it takes you two weeks off the road and then you pick up the guitar and you start writing again. So that leaves a huge amount of time to write. So how many ideas and songs are we talking about here, Angus? Yeah, well, I start writing and then I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. And I thought, Now's the time to go through all what we had done. But are we talking hundreds? Are we talking dozens? Are we talking thousands? Like how many songs? I would say, yeah, there's hundreds of them. Wow. I mean, not just even from that time, even from, from before. Huh. I've got whole songs Malcolm just wrote in, here in my head that, that I can go in, I pick up the guitar and I can put them together and they're songs. They're that strong, a lot of what he does. Wow. I always loved doing his ideas and he liked doing mine. <laughs> mine and I would always go, no, we do yours. Yours are always so solid. <laughs> <laughs> I would go, okay, Mal, I know you like that idea of mine. Now tell me what, tell me what you like about it so I've got the idea. Yeah. But I love this idea that, you know, of the two of you, the way it's been described, just the, the chemistry between you and Malcolm for now, not including George or yeah. the rest of the band. Yeah. That you would look to your brother with such a sense of like assurance yeah. and as you said, practicality. And yet it was you that got put out in front along with Brian to just 
charge into battle. And yet it strikes me like you are the one that's like, is this song good enough, Malcolm? You know, and yet you're the one that's out front. And it always it's such a it's such an interesting balance, isn't it, between insecurity and confidence. <laughs> no matter who we work with, like even produce, the one I always went to, even when we I worked with my older brother George, and whenever I was there and doing guitar solos or any guitar pieces, my brother would go, Yeah, it's, it's happening, it sounds great. But the one I always relied on was Malcolm. If Malcolm went, yeah, that made it for me. Even like when when we worked with Mutt Lang also, it was uh, the same. You know, Mutt would go, hey, this is, that's good, that's happening. Uh, But I would go, Mal, if Mal said yay, I knew it was good. Or if Mal even told, he would go to Mutt and go, no, Angus can do better. Can Brandon fill in that role to some degree now as a producer because he's worked with you on three of your most sort of powerful sounding modern records? Does he have that same ability to 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 get past your own sense of 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 concern? Yeah, I'll tell him. You know, because I'll tell him in Malcolm's words. <laughs> I'll say, you know, because I'll be there saying, you know, I I need the, the extra ear. I have to, you know. Yeah. I have to look, and I always think, okay, with Mal get this, what I'm doing here now. And then there'd be Brendan, and he would try and, you know, do that role and say, well, yeah, you know, we'll try this or we'll try that. So I'm using a bit of that, but then I also have to put on my brother's head and go, would he want that there? Would he want this here? And Malcolm had a lot of great things, vocal, even with vocal ideas and, and he knew, I mean, if I, whenever I would do a vocal, I tend to go rhythmic, very rhythmic. I'm, I'm not really, uh, if I do a, 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 like a chorus idea, I kind of do it in my own rough style. I kind of just go for the meter of that. Malcolm, you know, he would always say, no, we've got to get the spread. Yeah. And he would work on it and make it really clear. Yeah, because otherwise, when I get to it, it was like a highway to hell or something like that. Be like, highway to hell, <laughs> you know. Mal- <laughs> but Malcolm would go, "No, we've got to stretch it out a little bit here." Eh? <laughs> he would put the uh, you know the polish on it. This album is just—I have to say—as we've as we've talked about power up, and you've shared some of the process that you've been using in order to achieve this. Yeah. It, it makes me realize even more after I heard it for the first time what an incredible milestone this is. And you're not short on them. You know, you've been through some real, real ups and some real lows yeah. only to get back yeah. up again. And this has been a, 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 life's, a life's journey. And this album, in many respects, must feel like a very important one because what a shame if rock or bust had been the last ACDC record and it had been health and it had been addiction and it had been all these other things that had beaten ACDC and not and you had lost the ability to call time yourself. That would have been a tragedy. That's right. And then that's the other thing too, you know, you can't call an album rock or bust and then go bust, you know. No, that that's what I happen. said. Can you, that's what I said. I was like, that yeah, was the biggest thing. I go, wait a minute. I called this. <laughs> I, I was the one that said call that rock or bust. Yeah. And I would have to live with that and go, hey, bust, you know. Well, listen, long may ACDC reign. No one has done it better. No one has, has created, has brought groove and music and power 
into rock and roll and the reason why we still love your music and why you still are so adored is because every ingredient is perfect. Thank you, Thank mate. you. I, I appreciate Thank that. You. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed that. You know, it was a deeper dive than I was expecting with Angus and Brian, but some really touching and heartfelt stories intact in an overall conversation that now sits alongside some really great ones. So please subscribe, add a comment or a rating, share it with your friends if they're ACDC fans, and I appreciate your time.